I'd invite you to pull out your Bibles and um, open up to the last part of Matthew chapter 28 is where we'll be. I don't know if you work this way or if your brain works this way, but what we just did, even musically, was kind of a um, it was kind of a musical journal a little bit for where we've been as a church. And that song "Center," for instance, as we were going through the Book of Colossians, that's written by a guy named Charlie Hall, and I've heard that song a bunch of times. But as we were studying through the Book of Colossians this year, and the whole theme of Colossians, there's so much of that song that I'm convinced he wrote that after reading the Book of Colossians, and so. That was a major theme as we were going through that study this, this last year. And some of the other songs were just conjuring up images and kind of places we've been as a church body this last year. And this morning what I want to do is this. I want to recap a little bit of where we've been, but not just for the sake of recapping where we've been, but to kind of help stir to mind and call to mind where we've been because that sets up where we're heading and, and where we're going. We began last year, 2008, um, I took four Sundays, and we, we called it this series called the, the Church in HD. And it was just looking at a clearer picture of the church. And we went through four biblical metaphors that the Bible uses, just kind of pictures of what the church is to be and what it's supposed to be. And we talked about the church as being family. We talked about the church as being a body. That's a biblical picture that it uses. The church as being a flock, with our chief shepherd being Jesus Christ. And finally, the church as being the bride of Christ and that, and that we're in this love relationship with God. And if you take all four of these collectively, I don't know if you remember, but last January we talked about the fact that with each one of these metaphors is a little bit more of a clearer picture of what our identity is. It also gives us our purpose or our mission, what we're to be about as a collective body of believers. We also talked about the fact that within each four of these pictures, there are certain things that are forbidden to do as the bride of Christ. Certain things that as a family member of God, you're just forbidden to do. Don't do this stuff. And then there are, there are also some expectations that come with being in the family of God. A sheep under God's care. A person who is married, so to speak, to Christ. Part of why I want to talk about this again, certainly we didn't just talk about it in January and then not talk about it the rest of the year. Much in the same way, this morning I want to lay out some things about us as a church and what we're doing and just call to mind. And it won't be the last time this year. We'll talk about this. I will keep this in front of you. I'm committed to doing that because I'm convinced that vision leaks. Vision has a way of drifting and wandering. Um, anytime that you've been vacuuming, and uh, the, <clears throat> the vacuum's just left there, plugged in still, but you didn't finish the room. That's evidence of the fact that you can get sidetracked, can't you? You've been at work, and there's, a, there's a, an email half-written, and you go, oh, yeah, I got totally sidetracked. I better get back to that. It's the same that's true with the church. We can be going in the right direction. We can hear in January what the church is about, what we're doing here, what our mission is. We can get fired up as an individual, as a family, have it clear-cut what we're all about, but we tend to get off path. We tend to wander a little bit. And because of that, I want to take this morning and dedicate it to reminding us. Sometimes there are things that happen in life that are kind of a wake-up call to what, what are we doing here? What's this really all about? Uh, there's a friend that I've worked closely in ministry with for probably the last, I don't know, seven years or so. And he's a, he's a local missionary, really, is what he is. And he's supported solely by churches. And, um, and he works with international students. And he's dedicated his life, really, to loving the foreigners among us and to showing them Christ's love and, in the process, also telling them about Christ's love. And um, just about a month ago, my friend Leon, who's not much older than I am, uh, came down with cancer. And so he's been battling cancer for the last month or so. We've been praying um, praying for him and, and lifting him up to the Father and just entrusting him to him. And he's got kids and he's doing the Lord's work. And you just go, man, this shouldn't be happening. And um, he wrote this email recently, and I want to share just a little part of it because it reminds me that a near-death experience can sometimes clarify what's important, can it? You get close to death, you get close to losing something, and it sharpens what we're doing here. Listen to this. Dear friends and loved ones, over the last, I'll just read snippets of it, but over the last month or so, I've battled with my cancer. He goes on to give a little report. He's not out of the woods yet, but a lot of things are going right, which is, which is good. 
Then he says this, during this past month, I've learned to trust in God more, and he has reminded me about my life purpose. Besides loving him and following his commands for my life, he has reminded me that I should be continuing to share his love with others, like all of the international students. And he goes on to paint this picture of saying, if I'm going to, if I'm going to share the love of God with all the international students, I'm going to need your help. And he goes on to make this pitch to just say, join me in loving on international students. And I just love it. Here's a guy who very realistically in this last month has been staring death in the face and been asking some big why kinds of questions. And what does it do? It just renews his passion for what God's wired him to do. And that is to love, work, recruit for the sake of international students and people studying here from overseas. And I thought about, I thought about that as a church. Let's not, as a church, <clears throat> have near-death experiences before we call to mind and remember, what are we doing here? What are we all about? Let's not wander so far and then get down and just go, what are we, what are we all about? Let's do that ahead of time. And so that's part of what this morning is all about. I want you, if you're not there, to open up to Matthew chapter 28, and we'll look at verse 18. And if I could just give you a simple, short, big idea of what we're talking about this morning... Here it is. What is a church? A church is a group of people on a mission from God. That's it. That's a simple definition of what a church is. What is your church? It's a group of people who are on a mission from God. Matthew 28, familiar passage to a lot of people who've who've trusted the Lord and read their Bibles a little bit. It's called the Great Commission sometimes. And starting in verse 18, here it is in a nutshell. Jesus talking to his disciples. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you even to the end of the age. So here's a question for us as a church body this morning. How are we doing? If we're left here on earth for the sake of making disciples, doesn't it make sense that we would ask, how are we doing at that? How are we doing at making disciples? And that's a good question to to ask. Some people get a little bit squeamish about asking those kinds of questions. It sounds like we're keeping score. Should there be scorecards in church? And I would say, I would say yes and no. I would say a whole realm of things that we can talk about later. No, you shouldn't be keeping score. But I think that in other areas, yes, we should be keeping score. I think sometimes we think that just faithfully doing the same thing year after year is what God wants us doing. But what if we're on the practice field and year after year we're running drills and we're just practicing, practicing, practicing. And at the end of our life, God just says, man, you guys were really well trained. I wish you would have just gotten the game and used all that and scored some points. And we just go, there were points involved? We're supposed to be, we're doing something? There's a point to all this? Yes. Here's the point. Make disciples. If we're a church and we look at ourselves 10 years from now and we look exactly how we do today, we're failing as a church. We're not being good stewards of who we are and what God's given to us. Now, this whole question of making disciples is is interesting. A lot of times I think people think of that as making converts, someone who's not a Christian and becomes a Christian. Is that part of making disciples? Absolutely. Absolutely. And we ought to be looking at that. If the only new growth we have is through biological growth, and we're doing a good job on that, uh, just A plus to a lot of you on on that one. Um, You know what? That's a good, healthy sign, right? That's a growing family. I, I like that. I think that's a really healthy thing. But... If that's the only kind of growth that, that we have to show for ourselves, something's amiss. There ought to be new converts sitting in these seats that weren't here in 2008. But here's the, here's the problem. If we only look at, um, at that part of the equation, we miss a huge chunk of what the scriptures teach about making a disciple. Look at this passage we, we, we just read. Verse 20 says this. In, in a different version, it says this. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands... I have given you. Not only is it about converts, it's also about life change. It's about growth. So that means that converts who came to know Christ last year, which we had some, and we saw our baptistry being used, they ought to be growing in Christ. They ought to be changing. 
Those of you who've walked with the Lord for 20 years and, and beyond, you ought to say, man, my life this last year changed. I learned to trust him more. That last crisis I went through, I sure handled that differently than I did five years ago. Wow, my faith has increased. My belief in God has dramatically grown and changed. Praise God for that. I'm hungrier for things in spiritual matters that I weren't, that, that I wasn't before. So we ought to be growing. And the way I would kind of describe that is this way. We ought to not just look at numbers vertically. Numbers vertically would say this. How many people attend church on a regular basis? That's a decent starting point for a scorecard for a church, right? If every week we ran 10 people and 10 years later we didn't grow at all and we're not in an oppressive, you know, anti-Christian uh, place where it's illegal to meet, we would question that and say, maybe there's something we're doing. I would brush my teeth more. Uh, there'd be some factors involved that we'd look at and say, this doesn't seem like it's working. But if all we were to do is measure, we could draw a crowd here, I think. What if we, what if we doubled in size this next year? Are we succeeding? How's our scorecard? Well, one measurement would be to say, that's fantastic. That's really a good thing. We've doubled in size. But if we thought, good, we're making disciples, um, maybe not so much. Maybe there's more to the story. In fact, there is more to the story than that. Sometimes I think it's easy to just have numbers growing or numbers looking fairly healthy and saying, yeah, we're doing okay. But I think the Bible teaches us it's not just about converts. That's a huge part of it. And most churches, frankly, in America struggle with that. But we also want to look at numbers kind of horizontally speaking. Now, kids, how many of your parents uh, drink coffee? Raise your hands if your parents are, are coffee drinkers. Now, how many of your parents or a significant person in charge is addicted to coffee? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, let me see if, let me see if we have some, uh, some, some families that must attend uh, Starbucks church once in a while. <clears throat> I'm going to put three sizes out here. And I want to see if we can have a kid tell me. Now, this is indoctrination. You have to know this uh, to, to get this. Does anyone know who's under the age of 16 what size this is called, what Starbucks calls this right here? Is my kid the only one? It's this size? Good boy. He didn't know. Um, anyone know what this is called? What did you call it? Okay, it's not a small. It's something different. Travis, this... This is a tall, okay? Yeah, many people in this country know this, but we wouldn't deduce it from looking at this. Anyone know what this is called? Yes. Taller. <laughs> See, that, you should be running Starbucks. Anyone else? Lindsay. A grande. Yes. Trisha, what does that mean in Spanish? It means big. All right. We're doing good. Tall, grande. Kids, what is this called right here? Anyone? Yeah. <laughs> Trent. Ginormous. Travis. Aventi. The cooks are well on their way to having... He's going to be a future elder at the Church of Starbucks. Now, I'm going somewhere with all this. Now your, your minds are all sidetracked to whatever your little Starbucks order is. <clears throat> um, yes, you're, you're right, kids. Good job, Travis. A plus on that. Um, here's, here's why I'm bringing this up, is that to kind of judge, judge things... Uh, in, in, in terms of are we making disciples, I, I just want to give you kind of a, a picture. We're really about three primary things here at, at Neighborhood Bible Church. And, and if you were to take what's happening right now, this is our weekly worship service. And the plan is to have uh, 51 more of these over this next year um, on Sunday mornings in this building or somewhere near this building. Um, typically at churches in America, the attendance of that, the number of people that you can count and say they were physically p present, that's a measurable thing, is, is about like this, okay? Now, we also have something called community groups. And the way we structured our church is to say that we want to take this larger group gathering and move them into smaller pods of people where we can really grow and serve one another. And so that's what I would call community groups. We are very typical of churches in America. We have a healthy number of people who are committed to community groups. And most of those meet every single week at homes. Some meet here at different times. Many follow the sermon series. Some are off in a book of the Bible or studying something different. But that would be kind of a, a, a grande. And then um, moving on to tall um, would be this idea of those who are, those who are really serving in ministry. 
Those who are sacrificially serving and committed to, to ministry. Many people in this room um, are, are very dedicated to allowing what goes on here on Sunday mornings to happen. And they show up midweek, they talk, there's email conversation going on, there's all kinds of relationship being built up, there's, um, there's development of strategies and ideas and all kinds of stuff just to have a children's program, for instance, just to have the chairs we're sitting in. Uh, beyond that, outside of serving the body, there are people involved in ministry and, and plugged into sacrificially giving. Typically, that's the smallest number of people of these three. Here's why I'm bringing this up. Measuring numbers vertically just says, how are we doing at making disciples? Well, we grew by 20% last year. What I want to do as a church, what I want us to think of, and what we are thinking of as leaders, is we want to measure numbers horizontally also. Do we want to count the number of people who are coming to worship service? Absolutely. That's part of discipleship. But if we leave it at that, we miss what it is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, and that is to grow and to life change. So what we want is we want to see this number grow But we also want to see the numbers from here filling up this second number of community groups. We want to see people that say, I'm going to start coming to church. That's a big step for me. I'm I'm crossing the threshold of a church. Never thought I'd do that one again after being burned or whatever else. They start coming to church. But the word of God begins to take effect and they say, man, it's not enough to get an hour and 15 minutes a week. I'm dying here. I need support. I need a group of people around. I need to start loving people. That's community groups. And if we're getting large numbers of people here, moving here, that's a good healthy sign. Is community groups the end all? No. We're going to look at a passage in a second that says we're to to build up the body for the purpose of good works. It ought to be expressed in our service. It ought to be expressed in how we live our lives and what we're doing in our neighborhoods and being committed in, in service. Discipleship making is both an event. Sometimes you, you come to church for the first time, you hear the gospel, and you respond to the gospel, and you say, that's me. Jesus, I place my trust in you. Forgive my sins. I want to walk in newness of life. That's an event. But discipleship making is also a process. That's just chapter one. That's just the start of it. Baptism is a great picture because it says, man, we're launching you out, and now you're just beginning to have a whole new world of choices and, and a path to follow God in. And that's what this kind of represents, is that there's more to it than just people in a church. I want to direct your attention uh, over to Ephesians 4, and then we'll we'll camp there for the rest of the morning. Ephesians chapter 4 speaks to what I'm talking about here. That as a church body, we're not just to make a decision for Christ. We're not just to have filled out a card at a Billy Graham crusade one time as a kid. But we're to walk and keep in step with Christ. And that's, that's where the, the process comes in. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 and looking at verse 11. It says this. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. The he here is Christ. It was just talking about Christ, the eternal existing one. And Christ is the senior pastor of Neighborhood Bible Church. And he has appointed different people with different strengths and weaknesses and gifts and talents. And he gave them as gifts to the church. Here's the important part that I want you to see. Why did he do that? Why did he give these things? Why did he provide these things to a church? Why does every local church need those? Here's why. To prepare God's people for works of service. That's the why. That's why church leaders are in place, to prepare the body for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Not only is it a process, but it's also unique and individual. This whole idea of making disciples, you ever figured that out? It's just unique to the individual. Jesus was the master disciple maker. So if we're called as a church to make disciples, it would behoove us to look at Christ and say, how did Christ make disciples? What did he do? And so uh, a part of what we did this last year was this whole series on hard to believe. Jesus made statements that were just quite simply hard to believe. If you want to really die, I mean, if you want to really live, die. If you want to gain a whole bunch of stuff and you want to have it all, 
then give every last dime that you have away. Love those who hate you. Pray for your enemies. I mean, those are hard things to believe. It's like, Christ, did you really mean for us to do that? Or is there an analogy here we're supposed to pick up on? And so we looked at all these hard statements of Christ. And his invitation, this kind of drew true. There was a, there was a venti crowd. And then he'd make some comment, and then there was a tall crowd, right? They'd be like, man. And then the disciples would get after him. Jesus, these things you're saying, not really good for the PR department. It's just not flying with the crowds, you know? And some of the things he said was, was really hard. He took this verse in Ephesians 4, 9, and we see him play this out. He said just the right thing at just the right moment according to the individual. Why? Because he was making disciples. Here's Ephesians 4, 9. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful, catch this, for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit or give grace to those who listen. You know who embodied that? It was Christ. You read through the Gospels, and here's what you see of Jesus Christ. If you come to Christ proud and self-righteous, you know what he offers you? He offers you law. He says, you want to be proud based on this law that you kept? I'm going to give you all the laws. You have to keep all of them perfectly for a lifetime to to self-maintain that. Because it was counterproductive and destructive to the message of the gospel, which is a gospel of grace. So law to the proud. Some of the things he said are pretty harsh. You know what what he was doing? Making disciples. It was actually for the benefit of that person to be told a really harsh, stern word. You want to be self-righteous? Here's where that game leads. Here you go. But it was for building them up. He was making a disciple. To the humble, the humble person that came to Christ, you know what he offered them? Grace. The woman caught in adultery. She gets caught in the very act of adultery. He says, go and sin no more. Doesn't skirt the issue. Doesn't excuse it. But you read through the Gospels with this little grid in mind. Law to the proud, grace to the humble. You know what that's Christ doing? It's letting no unwholesome talk come out of his mouth, but he's building each one up according to their individual need. What if, as a, what if as a church for one year, what if as a family for one year, you could pull this off with perfection? Every single word that crosses my lips is for another person. It's not to justify. It's not to build up Dave's name. It's not to put a little jab in because I felt hurt. Wouldn't that just change the dynamic of every relationship you can think of right now? It would. This would be a phenomenal place if we pulled it off to perfection week after week after week. Christ individually went after people and made disciples. Here's the point of all this. In the, in the process of making disciples as a church, disciples are not mass produced. We can't just plug in formulas and make disciples. I don't know if you've noticed this yet, but we're all very different. I love looking out at you all because you all look so very different. And it just reminds me that, you know what, God's wired us up very different and very complex. And so in the art of discipleship making, I would call it more of an art than a science. A science just says you do this, you do this, and every time you get this. People just don't work that way. Our marriages don't work that way. Our kids don't work that way. And so it's an art. And you just, there's a, there's a, there's a flow to it. Making disciples is, is, is that way. I just happened to drive by the sign for Clear Lake yesterday. I was coming home from Red Bluff. And uh, as a kid, I used to go hunting with my grandpa up in Clear Lake. And, um, and it's a different kind of hunting than shooting anything. We were hunting arrowheads. And what we'd do is we'd go up there, and he had this, he had this really cool arrowhead collection. And, um, and he would just find them. He'd be out in the, in the wilderness all the time, hiking around. And I remember finding some arrowheads. It was just so exciting to, to see it and, and to look at it and to hold it and imagine that, you know, Indians had used this on the end of a spear. And how cool is all this? And I got to thinking about arrowheads. And I got to thinking about discipleship. And, you know, if you think about an arrowhead, think about this. Each arrowhead you ever see was unique and handmade. They're not just cookie cutter stamped out. They're unique and handmade. They're also shaped by chipping away unnecessary parts. That's how you make an arrowhead. You chip away at things. 
And finally, an arrowhead has a point, right? Has a specific purpose. It also has a point, but it has a specific purpose. Now consider disciples. The way disciples are made, it's unique and it's handmade. It's not mass-produced. It's not cookie-cutter. There's not some magical program we're going to stumble upon or some right curriculum that we're going to nab onto and go, finally, now we're doing it right. It's something we need to listen to the voice of God on and each one of us be involved in. Disciples are also made by chipping away unnecessary parts. Those of you who have had a pretty rough year and you're a believer, you know this to be true. You say, God, I know you discipline those you love. I must be being disciplined right now because this really, really hurts. And if you're chipping away unnecessary parts, it's an act of faith to say, you know what? The master's got, got me in his hands. He knows what's going on. And finally, a disciple has a point, has a purpose. You have been made a disciple to make disciples. That's it. You're in a, com- a community group, not just to have a community group, but to go and start new community groups. I've already got people coming to me saying, hey, can I start a group over here with this group of people away from the church? Would that be okay? And I say, absolutely. That's what this is all about. Disciples have those three things in common. So here's my question for you. Those of you who would call Neighborhood Bible Church home, are you making disciples? Individually, just have your own scorecard for a second. It's easy sometimes to say, we as a church are doing this, this, or this. The church is made up of people. So that's you and I. Ask yourself this question, am I making disciples? And not just converts, because maybe you're really good at making converts. Maybe you're not. But that venti, grande, tall. Are you building up people in your life? Those of you who have leadership responsibilities in your home, are you building up and nurturing disciples in your home? Those of you who have a witness at work, those of you who have family members that you're pouring into, Maybe you can't account for any new converts this year, but you can go back and take stock in the fact that you say, man, God is using me to move someone from a casual worshiper, a casual gatherer at a religious service into someone who's committed to relationships. Or from someone who was in a community group and they're really starting to serve. It's a good question to ask for you as an individual, you as a couple, you as a family. Are we making disciples? That's the Great Commission. That's why we've been left here. Your leaders at this church are asking that exact same question for us collectively. Are we making disciples? Not just vertically, but horizontally. How are we doing? Let's question it. Let's look at it. I want to just whip through some things. I didn't give you notes this morning. Some of you are writers. Write on the front. There's a lot of white on the front space if you want to jot these down. If not, just listen. But I want to to roll out for you um, some simple things that we passionately hold to here at Neighborhood Bible Church. Here it is. One is this, that we believe that the maturing disciple is one who is growing and passionately involved in in these three areas. A loving, deepening relationship with God, committed and loving relationships with the family of God, and serving and sharing with, with other people. That not just a convert of Christ who made a profession of faith somewhere but we would say, no, these are people who are, who are growing in and doing these three things. NBC has very intentionally programmed our energy and our resources and directed our energy and resources around these three things. We've kept it really simple on purpose. The worship services are where people are, are given the freedom and sometimes the first-time opportunity to develop and or deepen a relationship with God. To begin to see who this God is that's been pursuing them. To discover why it is that we love the Bible. Why it is that we pour ourselves into it. These are the words of life. These are the words of life change. Secondly, we have community groups. This is a place where people grow and serve together, quite simply. And finally, we have this word glocal that, that it gives this idea of this is the outflow of worship. This is the outflow of being together is that we are serving and sacrificially sharing with people across the street and around the world. And so that's why when you hear about updates, you're going to hear about one this morning that was local. But I look around, I've seen several faces who've been overseas this year supported by by your dollars and your prayer and their obedience to go 
and to sacrificially share. You can see there's kind of a progression to all of this. It all starts with worship. You get this really messed up if you, if you are motivated by anything other than a, a love relationship with God and just being in response to who He is. It starts with worship, but it moves on to building up the body. And it doesn't just build up the body so we can all have a huge, safe, holy huddle and enjoy the fruits and benefits of being the family of God and leave our doors shut to the outside world. But we build up the body for works of service, good works. So there ought to be an outflow to it, and that's where the glocal word comes in. Not only is there a progression to this, but all three of these are ongoing and continuous. Until you are perfect at worshiping, keep coming to worship service. Until you perfectly love everyone in the family of God, keep committed to, if not an officially sanctioned NBC community group, your discipleship group. Keep growing in that area. Keep working at it. Until you've reached full maturity in the area of service, keep trying stuff out. Keep getting plugged in. Keep being involved in those areas. We've made an intentional effort to not over-program the church. One of the things that we learned in starting this church was we said, man, we, we see the danger. Valley Church is asking amazingly good questions. We were born out of Valley Church in Cupertino. And with 50 years of history, you know what happens? A lot of clutter gets added on. A lot of things that you're kind of just pulling. I was on staff there for 10 years, and we're, we're trudging forward, and there's just these anchors that are there. And the questions that leaders at Valley are asking are, what need to be cut? What were really good for a season, but God's no longer even in that. We're supporting this huge program that's, that's not making disciples. It's not doing what we're intended to do. We got to start fresh here in 2006. And just say, man, we want to start really focused. And we don't want to get sidetracked from that. Here's what we've done by not over-programming the church. We talk about this a lot here at Neighborhood. But here's at least three benefits. Leaders don't stagnate the creativity and passion of the body. You hear me say this a lot. That if it was up to just me, our church would be as creative and as effective as I am. And that would be, that would be a pretty limited scope, wouldn't it? You're going, to hear, uh, you're going to hear from someone in just a couple of moments who has passion and who has creativity, has interests, and has influence in circles that I couldn't touch. And he's using them for the kingdom. And that's a great thing. We've said, let, let's not just wait for leaders to come up with ideas of ways to usher in the kingdom. Let's all be a part of that. We're all ministers. By not over-programming, the great variety of the body is seen and developed. It prevents atrophy. If you've ever broken a leg and had it in a cast for a long time, what happens to it? It shrivels up out of lack of use. You actually have to rehab it back to get it used again. I think there's whole parts of the body of Christ that are just atrophy. They're just not being used. I'm sure that leg is frustrated in there. It's dark. It's clammy. It's not, it's not doing what it was made to do. That's when bodies, churches, start infighting. And feeling frustrated. Finally, by not over-programming, God receives glory as the least of these are used for the kingdom. It's not just some paid professional. Well, he's paid to do that. He knows how to do that. It's not just, we have an incredibly depth of gift at musician. It's not just the person who's incredibly gifted. It's all of us regular Joes who bring our little simple two fish and a couple of loaves and watch God just perform a miracle. We have a jump house out here because John's in relationship with someone from his neighborhood and she's graciously offered to loan us a jump house. And he's just pursued that. That's a cool thing. Every one of us has gifts and talents and parts of the body. Ron, why don't you come on up and, uh, and share with us. In short, the body is being built up when these things are happening. And Ron's going to tell you right now about a local uh, kind of an opportunity that just went on. Morning. Um, morning. First of all, thank you all for your donations and your support and volunteers. Uh, we had a great time. Uh, I went through a little bit of a learning curve myself because I had some anxiety this year. Giving was down 50% this year, and I was really stressing over that. But you know what? The Lord's in control. I'm not. 
we got the KB toy stores. We got thirty percent discount. We got up to the party. About I don't have the head count. But there's about twenty percent of the kids didn't show up. So it turned out we had more than plenty. So I'm not in control of God. I was taught that lesson. Hmm. Well, what's great is through your donations. Um, I got a confirmation that there was nine different people were able to witness in the store. Since we made stand out there, a possibility of up to nine, but for sure seven people were witness to. At the party, uh, it was great. Um, there were some contacts made. Um, I usually keep stuff in my pocket. I kind of hand out little gifts so that kids can answer my questions. You know, I asked one kid, what's Christmas about? It's Santa Claus's birthday. Well, I got to sit down and talk with him and tell him, no, it's not Santa Claus's birthday. It's Jesus' birthday. So we got an opportunity up there to share. I haven't heard back from the rest of the volunteers what they did, but I'm sure many of these things went out at the party themselves. Um, connections were made. We see the same people over and over. And the little small things in life that, to me, weren't important, is I had one mother come up to me. It's normally parked the bikes in front of the church, and they moved us this year to the side. This mother came up to me and said, the first thing out of this kid's mouth when he got out of the car was, Mom, there's no bikes this year. So I took the kid down, put him on the bikes, smiles from ear to ear. Got his picture taken, sat on the bikes. That happened twice. So the little things in life that we don't think we're doing actually mean something to some kids. So it was a great learning curve for that. We had one volunteer last year make a connection with a lady. Uh, She was having a hard time. The mom just gave her a shoulder to cry on. They met again this year. They're meeting once a month. So relations are being built. That's all due to your donations your volunteers. So to all of you, thank you. Just, just to set that up, Ron is a part of an organization called Bikers for Christ. And, um, and as he puts it, you know, here all these, all these people show up in, in leathers. I forgot mine. I didn't get the memo, so I left, I left mine at home. Um, but here, here, here are all these bikers in leathers that are showing up, and this event is put on by a church um, up the peninsula a little bit just to love on and give a Christmas to some foster kids that, that came through. And just a neat way that this came about is that this is something Ron and his family have felt called to do by God and passionate about. They didn't wait for the church to initiate. He didn't even ask for our blessing. Uh, it, it predated us. But then what was really neat is that the Lord knit the hearts of, of Ron and what he was doing. And how many from NBC came, Ron? 17 of you showed up and decided to say, man, let's, let's give Christmas to foster kids. And we joined in with, with, with what Ron was already doing. And probably of those 17, um, zero of them would have come up with a biking ministry for foster kids. I just don't think any of the rest of us would have come up with that. So that's, that's the picture. That's a good work. And that's the body all, all at work there. Because I know Ron, I would know the answer to this. But if I asked Ron, what motivates you to do this? What motivates you to go try to raise money so you can go buy toys so that on a Saturday you can go give up most of a Saturday to go put on little games and all of that? Here's what Ron's answer would be. It would be worship. It'd be because I love God and I serve a generous God and he's put that in me to be generous and to be, and to be pleasing him. And I, I, I worship him by doing that. I want to I want to make this real practical for us now. Kids, hang with me. Food is close. Jump house is almost as close. We'll be done in a second. You're doing awesome. But I want to get really practical with this. I want to I want to find out where you're at this morning, what your part in all of this is. We went through a series in Colossians, and we just called it Christ, the center of it all. And and if you remember, we went through and said that. Christ is to be the very center of our midweek. Christ is to be the very center of of every nuance and aspect of our life. It's not just Sunday mornings that Christ is the head and the the center. It's the center of every relationship and every decision. And that was just a rich study for me personally and a challenging study for me personally. But I want to put this slide up to call to mind that everything I'm about to talk about right here must be centered and must be starting point with your love relationship with Christ and as an act of worship. Otherwise, what happens is this. If John were doing jump houses and it were motivated by anything other than worship of God, here's what would start to happen. 
If I don't come and personally thank John and gush over John and say, John, you're such a great guy. Thanks so much for doing this. If I forget to do that one Sunday morning and he's doing it for that approval or for that stroke, John gets a little bit ticked off. And so John sets it up again, but he's a little bit bitter now because the pastor didn't notice or because people weren't very thankful. And here's what happens. Sometimes people jump into volunteer at a church and instead of being dedicated servants of God, they're volunteers. And volunteers walk away going, man, people rarely appreciate the coffee I make. People rarely appreciate this, this clothing drive that I do every year in the neighborhood. And if we do it for anything other than worship of Jesus, you know what ends up happening? It becomes religious activity, becomes pharisaical, and it becomes very destructive and counterproductive to what we're trying to do as a church. So everything I'm about to say, I'm going to give you many on-ramps right now for 09 and where you might be. But I want you to keep this centered out of a love relationship for Christ and let that be a starting point. Here's my question for you. As you kind of look at these three cups one more time, and uh, there won't be a quiz. We already know that. Um, I would just say this. Which, which cup are you? Which cup would you say represents where you're at in your spiritual walk right now? Where you are with, with Neighborhood Bible Church? I would say this. Some of you ought to be in this venti cup. I said it kind of half-joking, but you know what? The new year is a time when people join a gym, join a church. People have a sense that go, man, there's something missing in my life. Maybe, maybe the, the best step you could do and the most important step you could do in this early part of 2009 is to be in this venti cup. You commit to being in this building with this body of people and you commit to being in a worship service. Maybe some of you have been coming sporadically and you go, you know what, my, my thing for 09 is I really need to plug in here. I really need to commit to being here week after week and make this a priority. We just sang fixing our eyes on this one we believe in. That means making it a priority. That means devoting attention to it. Maybe some of you need to come and meet with me and find out what this church is about because you have some questions. And before I commit, before I plug in, I want to know what this church is all about. I'd be happy to meet with you. I would love to sit down with you and, and, and talk with you about that. Maybe you've been the venti cup for a long time. Maybe you've been checking out NBC and it's been over a year. You know what I would say? I would say maybe you're the grande cup. Here are some grande cup kinds of things. You need to commit to a community group. Not because you feel a need for more relationships. Not because you're dying to have one more night out a week. But as an act of obedience to your Lord and Savior, you say, you know what? I really don't know anyone in this room beyond Sunday morning. And if I'm seriously loving the body of Christ, if all I'm devoting is an hour and 15 minutes a week, that probably isn't enough to really sharpen one another and be sharpened by one another. So maybe a step for you is to commit to a community group Maybe it's just to step into a greater role. Maybe you're going to a community group and you've never thought to jump in and ask your leader how you can help. And you just go, man, I want to be a servant to you. How can I, what can I do to make your life easier? Maybe you can just be an encouragement to your community group leader and once a week sit down and pray for that community group leader and write a note of encouragement saying, I want you to know you were prayed for on Tuesday afternoon and we love you and appreciate what you do. Man, that would be, that would be a growth step for you, perhaps. Here's a grande kind of a thing. In terms of building community, it's not really about community groups. That's just a program. We could chuck that title in five years and call them small groups and be really innovative. That's just a program, right? The value is community. The church is to be family. Some of you just spent time with people you don't necessarily really like to be around. Why? Because you're family, right? And it's the holidays. And there's some rule book that says you're supposed to all be together whether you like it or not. There's something biblical about that. You know how easy it would be for me to be a pastor for a year at a church, throw all my best sermons at you for a year, kind of put on my best show for a year, and then move on somewhere else and keep getting fresh starts. Wouldn't build the church up very much, I don't think. 
A lot of people attend church that same way. As soon as you start digging in and going, man, these aren't perfect people, I guess I'm out of here. I'm going to go find that church that is perfect like me. And so we church shop and go from place to place. And 20 years later, like, man, there's a very big shortage of perfect churches. <laughs> Wish I would have just stuck, stuck with one and, and gone for it. That's a little bit like family sometimes. Here's a, here's a grande kind of a thing. And some of you have taken this up, but organize a church-wide event for the express purpose of building relationships and being deeper. You know what? Don't wait for, for leadership to do that. Leadership will do that. We will pursue things. We'll continue to do welcome lunches. I love sitting around a table talking to you guys. I love watching the interaction of that. That's just kind of a baby step. There's so much more we, we could do with that. Here's a, here's a tall kind of a thing. Maybe you've been in a community group this year. Maybe this was you a couple of years ago. You've been in a community group. You've tried to get involved in a church. You're starting to do some different things. You realize in your study, you realize in your walking with Jesus that, that Christ loves the church and that Christ gave himself up in service for other people. And you say, man, I really can't say that about my life. Maybe for you, it's time to go from from grande to tall. Here's what tall kinds of things would be. Take up a towel and serve your neighbor. How does that look? I have no idea. I don't really know your neighbors. I do know that some of you have very intentionally brought your neighbors to this place because you found life and vitality here and you go, you've got to come be a part of this. That's loving your neighbor. We used to do a junior high event called Rake and Run. I discovered that 99 times out of 100, you walk up to someone's door in the fall and you say, we're not going to accept any donations, so this isn't a money thing. We're a local junior high group. We would like to rake your leaves just because we love you. Would you allow us to do that? 99 out of 100 people say, thumbs up. You have my official approval. And you know what? It's just taking up a towel. There's a lot of leaves in your yard. We're not saying anything that you're not keeping up your yard, but we want to help you. (laughs) You figure out what your neighbors need. There's a whole universe that lives next door to you on either side. Some of you above and below, across the street. Go find out about them. Just take up a towel and start to serve your neighbors. Start up a backyard Bible study for your kids' friends. Start a hospital visitation group. Some of you hate hospitals. Not many people love hospitals. But you know what? There's a world of ministry opportunity when you're sitting beside the bed of someone who's flat on their back. They can't go anywhere. (laughs) And you just be in there playing cards, watching TV, hanging out, talking to them, praying with them. Man, that means the world to them. Any one of us can do that. Mentor a junior high student next door. Go on campus and and be a part of this math club that that Ben's going to be a part of. Go and just serve junior high kids next door. Maybe all of that sounds way out of your comfort zone and you go, that's not me at all. Here's what I would say might be a servant kind of, good works kind of step for you. Maybe you ought to join in what someone else is doing. Some of you aren't pioneers. Some of you aren't risk takers. Some of you would never dream up a toy drive and all the organization that goes with that, but you can join in and support someone who is doing that. There will be people in this room who will venture out into new ministries this year that you go, huh? No one's ever done that. Maybe God's in it. Maybe this is a new thing God's in. You can be an encouragement to that. You can be a sounding board for that person. You could just get in line and say, what do you need to make this successful? So maybe your servant role isn't dreaming up a new ministry opportunity, visioning something. You go, man, that's outside my comfort zone. I don't think I'm gifted that way. Maybe you ought to come And just be a Barnabas kind of person who comes alongside and makes it happen. Every single person you ever see in leadership or dreaming up new things needs those people. Maybe you're one of them. What are you doing in 2009 to partner with others at NBC? Maybe you're visiting. If you're visiting from another church because you're from out of town or whatever, welcome. Take the same thing back to your church. I love that we're in partnership with a a variety of churches in this area. This Help One Child toy drive is in partnership with another church up the peninsula. It's God's church. We're not interested in building up Neighborhood Bible Church. We're interested in building up the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And we're one, and we're one body with that. 
How about this question? What unnecessary part of you is God chipping away at to shape you into the kind of disciple-making disciple that He needs you to be? Start to view your problems and your life in that context instead of just, what a bummer, this is going on, and wasting those learning opportunities. Finally, the last question would be, are you cooperating with God as He's chipping away with those things on you? Or are you resisting? Are you pulling away? I want to invite the band back up right now. We're going to close with, with one song. And as we do, I just want to pray. And um, If you need to take a step from, from non-churchgoer to saying, I need to, I need to discover what this God thing is all about, would you come and talk to me? I'm going to be at the welcome lunch for the next hour or so. I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to set up a time to meet with you. If you're here and you go, I, it's really time to, to, to plug into a community group and be a part of things. If you're a community group leader in this room right now, would you stand up just for a brief moment? Just stand up so people can see who you are. These are some of our community group leaders. Vivian leads one on, uh, on Monday nights for ladies. My men's group on Friday morning is picking up again this coming Friday. Come and talk to, to one of these people. Go ahead and sit down. Thanks, you guys. They're going to be starting up again after a holiday break. Get plugged into a community group. And finally, if there's something on your mind or heart in terms of service, maybe you need to meet with me. Maybe we need to be behind it as a church like we did with Ron. Maybe you just need to go do it and be obedient to Christ and just go start loving your neighbors. Go start doing works of service that God's prompted you to do. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you take each of us like this image behind me of of unique arrowheads that you have designed no two look quite the same and yet you've designed us for a common purpose to make disciples and it just couldn't be more simple it couldn't be more clear i pray god that you'd give us boldness in our obedience this year i pray father for those who know they need an action step to take that they would just take it and not procrastinate I thank you for your word that lays out for us why we're here, what we're doing, what we're all about. I thank you for the examples, Lord, of time and again in this place and around this place, these various kinds of things going on and the growth that I've seen. We pray for a rich harvest of new life this year through the people of Neighborhood Bible Church. We thank you for placing us in this city that you love people in our lives that you died for, created, and are pursuing. Help us to join you in what you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I think we'll also just uh, pray right now for the uh, food, and then um, we'll dismiss you. God, uh, this morning we want to thank you for all of your gifts and blessings in our lives. The food we're going to eat today, Lord, is provided by one of our community groups. God, and for their servant hearts, Lord, we want to thank you for growing up people who want to serve you and serve others. Lord, we pray that uh, you would bless the food, let it fill us, and uh, the fellowship as well, Lord, that someone would make a connection today in our, in our lunch that would last beyond today and, and even beyond uh, this year, 2009, Lord, and that you would be in those conversations. In Jesus' name, amen.